Every single one of us was pursued when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been embraced by a Savior who is faithful and true. That's his name. And you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. Precious promises. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. All right, well, good morning, church. It's good to be back with you for week four of our Promises of God uh, series. Uh, We've covered three weeks. The first week, we discussed what is a promise. Uh, The second week, we covered the promise of God's sovereignty. Last week, Pastor Dave unpacked the promise of God's goodness. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I have been thoroughly enjoying this series. In fact, I got to tell you, I need this series. It's been a hard week. And I suspect I'm not the only one who has experienced that. God can feel distant at times. And so thankfully, we've reached the promise of God's presence, that he is always with us. And so our memory verse today is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, which says this, and he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And that scripture is like a gallon of water for a thirsty soul. Be content. God will never leave you. He is your helper. What can human beings do to you? Nothing. That's the promise of God's presence. So before we dive into that promise, let's pray as we begin this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are always with us. And I suspect some of my friends who are listening this morning, Father, whether at home or whether in the, in the sanctuary here this morning, feel at times, Lord, like maybe you're, you're, you're distant, you're not as close as they would like. And I, I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would draw close to us, that you would help us to know that you are near, that you dwell with your people, you tell us, and as we will see. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would leave changed and transformed today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'd like to begin this morning by discussing something most of us are experiencing, and that's the topic of Zoom fatigue, right? Does anybody have this, right? Most of you are saying, I had that eight months ago, and I was over it then. Well, ironically, we're approaching the one-year anniversary of the beginning of this whole pandemic. March 8th, 2020 was the last, quote-unquote, normal service we had here at NBC before uh, the world changed and we were catapulted into this new digital reality. And it was cool at the beginning, maybe even intriguing, but a year later, I suspect many of us are tired. Now, why is that? Why have video calls made us so exhausted? Now, what's ironic is you would think that it should be just the opposite, right? Interacting on video should require less energy, not more energy. I'm sitting at home. uh, You know, I don't need to get in my car to drive anywhere. Theoretically, I can sleep longer, and I don't need as much coffee in the morning. Well, I think there's two main reasons that this Zoom fatigue happens. The first one um, is this, and I get these from a sociologist named Jenny Davis. She says, on Zoom, communication actually requires more effort. 
Now, if there's one meme that describes this whole year, it's this one. You're on mute. <laughs> you're still on mute. Has anybody experienced? Or you're the person who never mutes yourself, and everybody can hear what you're saying in the background. Is anybody a culprit of that? Now, now, video affords more social cues than text or phone calls, but the subtleties of face-to-face communication are still lost to an extent. Faces are blurry, even if you have an HD webcam. Microphones vary in quality, and so we need to look and listen with greater effort. But, but in a shared social space, it's not as difficult. Now, second, I think because of this, as a society, as a people, we are on edge Right? Everybody's been thrown into what feels like a pressure cooker social experiment, and all we want to do is be in the presence of our friends and family. And it's exhausting. It's, it's emotional. And, and most of us are saying it's just enough already. In fact, a few weeks ago, Amanda and I wanted to connect with one of our neighbors, and we actually Zoomed with our neighbors across the street and laughed about the fact that we were across the street but interacting through a screen. Here's how Jenny Davis concludes her article. She says this, Ultimately, what we're left with is a set of interactive conditions in which we have to strain to see each other, and when we do, we're hit with ambient distress. This is why Zoom meetings seem to have a natural hard attention limit and why sitting at a computer has left so many of us physically fatigued. Now, does anyone feel like that? 2020 and now 2021 have been the years of video conferencing and social distancing. And while those technologies are helpful and necessary in in many cases, it is not how we were made to interact. That's not how life began in the garden. We long to be in the presence of others because we are made in the image of a God who promises us his presence. He promises us his presence. Video technology has caused our notion of presence to be fragmented. We're physically in one place, but projecting ourselves to another place. Let me see if I can, if I can illustrate this. Because I want to give you an image to hold on to as we go through this message today. So I, what I want to do is bring out our new, large, video interviewing TV to share the stage with me today. Right? Here it is. And... Uh, Ironically, all these new TVs like this one have like AI technology built into it, and so I have to be careful what I'm saying because Alexa may be listening. Um, <clears throat> but this is an image right here many of us have probably seen on our screens a lot this year. Now, personally, I work with Pastor Dave here. Pastor Dave and I have a lot of calls because, well, we, we have a lot of things to discuss, and, uh, and when we discuss things, this is the picture I see on my screen a lot right here. This is Pastor Dave. Next slide. There we go. Pastor Dave. There he is. Awesome. Awesome. So this, I'm just going to say today, this is Digital Dave. Okay? And I know what you're thinking. Why wouldn't you want to stare at this face and glean from this wisdom all day long as much as you possibly could? Right? But the idea, again, of presence is fragmented, right? Dave is with me on video, but his body is in a different location. And what I would rather have is him present with me to discuss life. Dave Could you come out so we can show them what the physical presence of Dave looks like? There he is, right? Okay. Do you see the difference, right? This is digital Dave. This is physical Dave, right? Now, I I don't see all of digital Dave. His presence is, is fragmented. His image can actually even be altered, right? So we played around with a little bit of video filtering. So maybe look at this here. This is a video filter that Dave likes to do this a lot, like the smiley faces, Okay, or, or maybe next we can see he puts on uh, some sunglasses, 
right on the next slide. There we go. So you can play with these video filters. And then, uh, and then lastly, he can actually change his location of where he is, right? Go to the next one. Okay, there we go. So now he's in Hawaii. He can even turn his camera off so I don't see him. His voice can be muted so I don't hear everything. But when we're present together, right, I can hear him better. I can read him better. I can smell him better. In fact, hopefully you showered today. Okay, that's right. That's right. All right, thanks so much, Physical Dave. You can go down there. The point I want you to see here is this. Proximity enhances the relationship. Proximity enhances... Next slide, please. Proximity enhances the relationship. And this is also very true with our relationship with God. Our proximity to God enhances our relationship. And the question this morning as we talk about this promise is, does your relationship with Jesus feel more like a Zoom call or does he feel like a digital presence that's blurried and has a muffled microphone? Or does your relationship with him feel like it's a face-to-face interaction where Jesus is in HD and his voice is crystal clear and you can almost smell him right next to you? Because today I suspect that many of us feel isolated. We're stuck in our houses. We can't see our friends and family as much as we'd like. And so there's, there's this barrier to these relationships. We are afraid. The world seems to be falling apart. There's, there's constant infighting in our government. It seems to be spilling over into the church. We need some rest. We don't need a digital Jesus. We need a physical Jesus to meet us where we are. We need connection and protection. In other words, we need this promise of God's presence. Because too many of us are living a fragmented life with God. And we don't embrace that full promise of his presence. Instead, our spiritual lives feel like a video call. We don't want to be as near to God as we should, but in reality, nothing else matters. And so if you want to embrace the promise of God's presence, we have to answer three questions this morning for the rest of our time. The first question is, in terms of God's presence, what is it? Second, why do we need it? And thirdly, how do we get it? What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? So first, what exactly is God's presence? Now to answer that question, what I like to do is trace several themes through the storyline of the scriptures. First, in the beginning, in the garden, in Genesis, God's very presence dwelt with his creation. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the garden, creating a barrier between God and his people. And so if you move through the scriptures, what you'll find is that the word most often used to describe God's presence is the word glory. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word kavod, which means to have weight or heaviness. In fact, even today, when we we refer to certain people as having a, a weight, a heaviness to their presence, it means they have some gravitas, right? To be in God's presence is to feel the weight of his holiness and his power because he's God, In fact, theologian John Frame says it this way. He says, glory is God's visible presence among people. Glory is God's visible presence among people. Indeed, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 tells us the whole earth is filled with God's glory. It's visible everywhere and has extra potency amongst God's people. In fact, one of the earliest and clear examples of this is Exodus chapter 16 verses 6 to 10. God's people were in slavery. They were isolated. They were afraid. They were exhausted. 
It was enough already. In fact, they may have felt like God was on a Zoom call with them, but then God comes in, he frees his people, Israel, from the tyranny of the Egyptians. His physical presence literally leads them through the wilderness as a cloud. And again, in that context, the people of Israel had to be afraid. And so they start complaining about their situation, and Moses gets his brother Aaron, brings him over, and they start talking about this, and they explain to the Israelites that God will display his glory so that they know that he is the one who saved them from the Egyptians. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says this, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. God heard you complaining. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the what? The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared. Now, this is an incredible, incredible passage. Now, think about this reality. The story of Exodus is about God saving and delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. Then... What he does is he provides meals for them in the wilderness, and through it all, he says here, he walks with them. He offers his presence even when they're complaining. So if you're a parent here today with kids or you're listening at home, I want you to notice something. God doesn't just pay for the needs of his kids and then leave them alone. What does verse 9 say? It tells us that he draws near to them and he offers his presence. And I got to tell you, as a child... You don't just want your parents' money. You want their presence. And that is what God offers to his people. He shows them his glory in the form of a cloud. What does the writer of Hebrews say? Again, a letter influenced by Old Testament theology. He says, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will be with you wherever you go. That's the promise of his presence. Now, if you continue through the story of the book of Exodus, you know that the Israelites eventually come to a mountain called Sinai. The people wait at the bottom of the mountain while Moses climbs up to the top. He hikes up to meet with God, and it's there that God makes a covenant with his people in the form of the Ten Commandments. He promises to be in relationship with them as their God. And again, he shows himself in Exodus chapter 24, verse 16. It says this, Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Again, an incredible sight if you're an Israelite. The glory... The presence of God is right there before you. Moses actually walks into it. It's no Zoom call. It's like real life right here. In the Old Testament, what we often see is that God's presence is a manifestation of his power and influence. God's glory is is his visible presence among people, or as Pastor John Piper says, when God manifests himself, when he makes himself known in a new and powerful way, something stunning is about to happen. And God's presence should cause a reaction within us. Look at how the psalmist reacts in Psalm 114. It says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Now that word tremble is meant to show the power of God's presence. In fact, the rest of the psalm, God shows his power over nature. And the point is to remind God's people that in his power, he will care 
for them. There's a, there's a weight to God's presence, to his glory. His presence reveals his holiness and our unworthiness, and yet he chooses to bring his presence to his people. In Exodus, this, this took place in the creation of the tabernacle. This was a tent that was meant to house the very presence of God, and in the, in the inner sanctuary there, only the, only the high priest could enter into that most holy area. Now, the Hebrew word used to describe God's dwelling with his people in this context is the word Shekinah. So literally, God's Shekinah glory means that he comes and he encamps with his people. He dwells with his people. He is with his people. And this idea is carried into the New Testament in the incarnation of the Son, that when Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he literally tabernacled among us. Look at what John writes in his gospel account. He says this, And the word became flesh, and what? He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word, the logos, came in the flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus left his place in heaven and literally brought the presence of God to earth to be with his people. And so again, I want you to follow the storyline here, right? First we have Adam and Eve walking in God's presence, but because of sin, a barrier was created. But God still seeks to bring his presence to his people, first through the cloud and the tabernacle in Exodus, but ultimately he comes to us in human form as Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus the Christ. He is the Shekinah glory among us. He, the perfect sacrificial lamb, died on the cross, tore the veil between the holy of holies and his people so that God could dwell with us fully. And after Jesus ascends into heaven, what does he leave behind? He leaves behind the Holy Spirit, our helper, who now indwells his people. So literally, if you're a follower of Christ, the presence of God dwells inside of you. Jesus opened a way for the very presence of God to dwell in you. Look at what Paul writes to the, the Ephesian church. He says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were, you were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his, of his glory. And that word sealed over there means that we are certified as accepted by God. That God's royal seal is on us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In fact, 2 Corinthians, in that letter, Paul tells us that our bodies literally are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the new tabernacle. God himself dwells in us. We are his treasured possession. Now, before we move on, there might be a natural question you might ask, and that is, can I lose God's presence? And while there may be times, I think, when we are we are less aware of God's presence. If we are truly believers, if we've truly surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ, I don't think we can lose his presence. If we sin, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and purify us and bring us to greater holiness. In fact, one of the primary purposes of the Spirit in the new covenant age is manifestation of the presence of God among his people. And while I don't believe there is a, a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think there should be a desire for a continual filling of the Holy Spirit, which results in Christian growth and ministry. 
But Paul says again to the Ephesians, do not get drunk on wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. And this often brings a greater awareness of God's presence. So God's glory is his visible presence among his people. It's not mediated through a screen. It's real and truly with us. But we must ask a second question, why do we need it? So what is it, why do we need it? Back up one slide, please. Thank you. Uh, the, reason we, uh, the reason we need it takes us back to Genesis 3 and the fall. Too many of us treat our relationship with God like a video call or text message. So we keep God at arm's length. We're afraid to get in God's presence because it might expose some things that we'd rather keep hidden. What we'd like to do is have the ability to mute ourselves and turn off the camera. We're just like our ancestors, Adam and Eve. They, they lived in the very presence of God. Can you imagine what it's like to live in the very presence of God? Right? It must have been breathtaking. But something changed when sin entered the world. Suddenly, they were no longer wanting to be in God's presence. What does Genesis 3, 8 say? It says, and they heard, Adam and back up one slide, please. Back up one slide, please. Okay. All right, so Genesis 3, 8 says, um, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, so again, put yourself here, right? Adam and Eve had the ultimate proximity to God, but they ran away from him. They isolated themselves from God. They didn't just run away from him. They actively chose to hide from him behind some trees like they could hide from God. They turned off their camera and they muted their mic. But verse 9 tells us they could still hear God's voice. And God says, where are you? Where are you? Their speakers were still working. And so Adam and Eve were face to face with God, and yet they chose a Zoom call. So do you desire God's presence today? Or are you like Adam and Eve? Because here's what I want you to see. God still pursued them. God still wanted to be with them. God still wanted to offer his presence to them. We need his presence. He, he wasn't surprised by what they did. He was grieved that they no longer experienced what David writes in Psalm 1611, which is, will you make known to me the path of life, he says. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence, what do we experience Guidance on the path of life, unspeakable joy, unending pleasure. That's the promise of God's presence. Will we pursue it? We need God's presence because our sin created a barrier and it was erected between us and God. But there's at least two key benefits to God's presence that we crave. And the first one is that God's presence creates intimacy. God's presence creates intimacy. Let me illustrate it this way. My wife and I began our relationship dating long distance. And it's not the easiest way to begin a relationship, but God used it to grow us stronger. We would talk over Skype for many hours. Anybody remember what Skype is, right? Does it still exist? <laughs> but that, that was like video conferencing before video conferencing. Uh, we would talk for hours at night, and we loved talking to one another. And while video chat helped, we, we desired to be in each other's presence, in fact, I still remember when we would fly to see each other, that, that first hug that we would give each other was just awesome. 
as we were reminded of each other's physical presence. Because presence deepens intimacy. We need God's presence because it deepens our relationship with him. And when we seek his presence, it causes us to give more of ourselves to him. When we we are near God, it brings life to our souls. This is why the psalmist writes, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now this is intimate language that the psalmist uses here. He wants us to seek after God, and he wants us to be with him, and to gaze on his beauty. And I wanted those same things when I was courting my wife. It was sweet to be in her presence, but it was so much sweeter to be in the presence of the Lord. Now the second thing, the second benefit is that God's presence quells fear. God's presence quells fear. And many of us listening today are afraid. We're afraid. Maybe you just got a diagnosis from a doctor and we wonder what's next. Right at work, you think that you're on the chopping block and the company needs to cut costs. You're safe now, but you're asking what's next. Parents, you're afraid for your kids. The world is not safe. There are so many dangerous things happening and you're crying out what's next. Teenagers, maybe you're afraid that this digital schooling is never going to end and you wonder what college will be like. You're asking God, what's next? What's next, God? There are so many things to fear. And in those moments, we don't need a Zoom call with God. We don't need a digital God. We need the very presence of God. Because in his presence, he calms our fears and he offers to lead us. And what's interesting is that if you look back in the Exodus story, that is exactly what Moses was asking. Moses and the Israelites are afraid. They just left Egypt Yeah, they're grateful to be out of slavery, but they've been walking and walking and walking. In fact, they're going to walk for 40 years, and they're asking, what's next? And so Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai. He asks God about the next steps that his people should take, and what does God say? Listen to this, verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. See, he doesn't say, I'm going to give you a map that's going to take you to the promised land. Good luck. What does he say here? He doesn't say, here's seven tips for being less afraid. What does he say? He says, I will go with you. Are those not the words that you want to hear in the midst of a frightening world that is leaving us exhausted? And so I want to speak to a few different people who are listening today because first... Perhaps you're going through a trial and you are exhausted today and you are just really and truthfully afraid. You're wondering if God is listening to you and if he's still, excuse me, still with you. God offers this promise here to Moses that he will go with them on the journey and give them rest. And some of us are longing for rest today. Rest in the presence of God because you are safe. Now second, some of us listening today are trying to make some major decisions about life. Right, you're asking, where do I go to school? Where do I move? Do I move? When do I retire? Whom do I marry? And you want to know if God is with you, if God is in it. Again, you're asking the same question that Moses is asking in Exodus 33, and here is just some of my favorite verses in the entire Old Testament. Here's what God says. It says, and he, Moses, said to him, 
If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And again, some of us are asking, Lord, how do I know if I found favor in your sight? Will you go with us? And God tells Moses that he will show himself so that he knows he is with them. What does, what does Moses say? Moses says, show me your glory, God. Show me your presence. In other words, God, show me that weightiness of your presence so that I know you're with us. And then in the text, it tells us that God's presence, his Shekinah glory, passes by Moses. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, Moses is so radiant with light that the people of Israel can't look on him. They have to put a veil over top of him because they're blinded because he's been in the very presence of God. Now, 16 years ago, I made what at the time felt like the biggest decision of my life. I moved from New Jersey to Colorado to go to seminary. And I was 23 years old, and it was a, for me at the time, it was a monumental decision. I had never lived outside the Northeast. I would be far away from my family, and, and I was afraid, but I felt like God was calling me to do this, and so I asked him, Lord, what's next? Do you really want me to take this path? And these verses in Exodus 33 are what he brought to my heart. And I said, Lord, I only want to go if your presence will go with me. Show me your glory that I may be so close to you that I can sense what your will is. In fact, I even wrote those things on a prayer letter I gave to some trusted people. And so if you're listening today and you're walking through a trial or you're praying through a decision, ask God to show you his presence. Ask him to make it clear that he's in it because we need his blessing. And when you pray that prayer, I think you'll be amazed. We need God's presence because it offers us safety. Psalm 73, 28 says this, but for me it's good to be what? To be near God. I have made the Lord, my, Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. It is good to be near God. It is good to be in the presence of God. Why? Because he's our refuge. We are safe. And then we, we tell of how he saves. In fact, some of us, again, listening today, need to be reminded that God is our refuge because it feels like you're in a war right now, right? The, the, the criticism is rife. The physical pain is unbearable. Somebody stabbed you in the back this week. Cling to the promise of God's presence because when you're near to him, you are safe. In fact, he makes this promise in Isaiah 43, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. When my daughter is scared, she runs to me and she cries, Daddy! And she wants me to pick her up. And when she's scared, she wants me to pick her up so she can burrow her head in my neck. She wants to be so close to me that she can feel me, hold her tight, and protect her. It is an intimate moment. And that is what God does for us. But there's more to that. Listen closely to this. My daughter will always be my daughter. In fact, I often tell her, I will always love you, always, no matter what. But it's in certain moments, like when she's afraid and she's in my arms, that she experiences her role as my daughter very tangibly. 
Because as, I, as her father, I hold her and protect her because she is my daughter. And when you're afraid and you're in God's presence, he makes you acutely aware that you will not drown, that there will be no burn marks, that you are safe because your heavenly father will protect you. God's presence breeds an intimate connection. God's presence quells fears and anxiety. We battle. We need it. But lastly, how do we get it? How do we get it? Well, we get it often when we recognize the reality of God's presence. Because so often we miss the fact that God is with us because we don't stop and look to him. What did the writer of Hebrews say again? Look at the full verse. He says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, you know what's interesting about these verses that I didn't show you before is that it starts with the what? With the love of money. Now, Pastor Dave's going to talk more about this next week, but I want to mention it briefly here. Because it starts with a warning about something that we find security and pleasure in. Because culture tells us that more money can buy you happiness. More money can bring you security. More money will cause people to think well of you. And all of this takes our our eyes off of God's presence. That's what I want you to see. God says, be content with what you have. I will be with you. You don't need to fear. Just be with me. There's a famous book by a guy named Brother Lawrence, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And the book is his journals and letters about he, how he actually practiced God's presence. How he, how, he def, how he defined God's presence was this. He said, the presence of God is the concentration of the soul's attention on God, remembering that he is always present. The presence of God is the concentration of the soul, soul's attention on God, remembering that he is always present. Present. Now, do you see how that relates to Hebrews 13? How often does God have our soul's attention? Or is it distracted by the love of something else? Because Jesus famously said something to this effect in John 15. What did he say? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever what? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that word abide means a continual, daily, personal relationship with Jesus that's characterized by trust and obedience and prayer and joy. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to get into God's presence, be with me, look to me, talk to me. The promise of my presence is, that, is what you need. So, so what does Jesus say when he gives the Great Commission, right? He says, I will be with you. Now, there's a lot, it sounds a lot like Brother Lawrence's definition, right? So here's three practical ways that Brother Lawrence says we acquire the presence of God. He says, first, we acquire the presence of God through new life. In other words, if you're not a Christian, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, you can't be in God's presence. In fact, the Bible tells us you're his enemy. The video and the microphone are turned off on the Zoom call, and God is saying to you today, if you want to be in my presence... Listen to my voice and surrender to me. Give your life to me so that we we can have this reconciliation through the blood of Jesus. To earn the video on, 
You have to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And if you're listening to this message today and you don't know Jesus but you want this promise, give your life to him. Repent of your sins. Place your trust in him. Now second, we acquire God's presence by faithfully practicing his presence. And what that means is that we abide in him. How does that look? Well, throughout the day, we could pause and focus on Jesus and say, Lord, I am all yours. God of love, I I love you with all my heart. We should hunger to be in God's presence every day. Thirdly, he says we acquire God's presence by keeping the eyes of our soul on God. And that means when the, the, the outside world is raging with storms, we look up to Jesus and we ask him to take us to the eye of the storm. We ask him to give us his peace. In fact, J. Oswald Sanders famously said this, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. And let me just say, that is difficult. Right, last week, Pastor Dave made the point of saying that, that God doesn't need to explain himself to us when things are difficult, and that's true. And we won't, a lot of times we won't always get an answer. But what God wants is to be with his children, and he wants to offer us his presence. So how do we get God's presence? We stop to actually recognize that he's with us and to keep our eyes on him. And so we began our message today by speaking about Zoom fatigue. That even though it seems like we should have more energy, we're more tired. We're tired and fatigued because communicating is harder. Our eyes can't handle the the blue light of the screens and we're not made for this much distance from others. We're lonely. And so as we close today, what I might suggest is that, again, many of us are treating our relationship with God like a Zoom call. We're treating God like he's far away when he wants to be near us. We don't need to see God through a screen. We need to receive the promise of his presence. Just as God pursued Adam and Eve at the beginning, he still is calling to us, where are you? He wants to be so near us that we can smell him. And that smell should make us hungry for his presence. Let me give you one final image. Author Frederica Matthew S. Green addresses people who hunger for God's presence, but they rarely feel it, at least not in dramatic ways. And she gives this illustration. She says, my hunch is that if you, sitting here today or listening at home, are are sensing something of God's presence or are, are sensing something of God's presence or you wouldn't care. So picture yourself right now walking around a shopping mall. Maybe it's Bridgewater, maybe it's Short Hills, Rockaway. You're walking around and you're looking at people and you're looking at the window displays and suddenly you get a whiff of cinnamon. And you weren't even hungry and yet all of a sudden now you're craving a cinnamon roll. I tell you, my wife loves cinnamon rolls, man. I like them too, but as soon as she smells cinnamon, she wants me to bring it home. Some of you probably like cinnamon rolls too. Now the craving isn't something you made up. There you were, walking through the, through the shopping mall, minding your own business, when some drifting molecules of sugar and butter and spice collided with some susceptible patch inside your nose. You had a real encounter with cinnamon, not a mental delusion, not a, an emotional projection. It was the real thing. And what was the effect? You want more. Now. And if you hunger to know the presence of God, It's because you've already begun to sense God's compelling delight. Do you want to be in God's presence? 
Let me invite the worship team up for one final song. And as they come, I'll ask again, do you, do you want to get so close to God that you can smell him, like the cinnamon on the cinnamon roll? Or are you satisfied treating your relationship with God like a Zoom call where you can turn off the camera and the microphone? Let me just remind you that one day, at the end of time, God's visible, tangible presence will be everywhere. What does John write? He says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be what? Will be with them as their God. We will experience his presence always, so we should start practicing his presence today. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you for my friends who are with us today in person. Lord, those that are watching at home, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make your presence felt in a tangible powerful way. Wrap your arms of love around my friends here today. If there's some that do not know you, Lord, may you convict them, Holy Spirit, to give their life to Jesus. Draw them close. Draw them near. Open their hearts, Lord God, Father. If those are here today and they haven't sensed your presence close in a long time, Father, may you warm their hearts. May you make them feel it today, Lord God. Help us to know that you are with us even when the rivers rise And the fires come, you will not let them consume us because you are our loving, heavenly Father who is always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.